You see, there's got to be something in life. You've got to believe that the world came from somewhere and that, you know, people came from somewhere. The beautiful sun and the sky and the stars and everything. They came from somewhere, definitely. You can't deny it. If you deny it, you're lost totally. You've, you've no purpose in life. There's nothing to live for. If you feel that there is nothing there, no deity, what is there to live for and look forward to in the next life? And why don't people just do as they like on this earth and there would be havoc and war and murder and everything would run rampant if there was no thought of having to face somebody. You know, having to face something to be judged. Do you understand what I mean, yeah? Yeah, to be judged in the end. You've got to have that goal in life. Something to aim for. Shadow Allah, Both my parents were in the acting profession. As any young child in, in Ireland growing up, in Dublin or anywhere rural Ireland, you went to Mass on Sunday and you listened to what the priest told you when he came to the classroom and, you know, you, you, we were taught by nuns, etc., etc., the, the norm. But as I grew older into the age of understanding, certainly I got an interest in religion myself, a personal interest, uh, not because of family pressure or anything, just sheer personal interest. I sought knowledge from, about Christianity, Catholicism in particular. I studied the Bible. I um, attended Mass daily, every morning, 7 o'clock Mass. Um, at, a, at one stage, I wouldn't say constantly I did that, but certainly I went through a phase of, of going to Mass regularly every morning. I studied it and I did my best to live with the um, contradictions in the Bible and the, the errors and when I spoke to the, the laity or the clergy, I mean, the, the satisfactory answers weren't there. It happened over a period of perhaps six, seven months that I've, it began to dwindle and I realised that, you know, this really wasn't going to give me the answers I wanted. That would have happened when I was uh, maybe 16, 17 years old or thereabouts. I didn't become a complete and total disbeliever in God but I certainly became, uh, I say, disenchanted with the, the system of Catholicism and the practice and, and um, 
i.e. the clergy and their methods and, and treatment just didn't gel with me. Uh, it felt a relief at the time. You know, I can only say that now when I look back on it and uh, perhaps biasedly now because I'm Muslim. But, you know, when I look back and say, well, I stopped, I didn't go every day and maybe I went once a week and then once a month or then not at all. It was actually a relief to the mind, otherwise you wouldn't do it. If you were finding great comfort in it, you'd continue. But obviously, you know, it was a relief not to do so anymore. I think I would have become more confused and bemused and perhaps even angry if I'd continued knowing that I was not getting the truth. Not my idea of the truth, anyway, definitely not. In those days, of course, it was just do as you see being done and enjoy yourself and... This is, this is it, this is your life, you're not going to have anything else. When I, the first time I really got into a heavy conversation about Islam was uh, with my now husband, who was, of course, he wasn't then my husband. And uh, I saw him and I liked him and I wanted to talk to him and I found the only subject that I would succeed in was religion because he looked quite religious type of person. So I did, I spoke to him. And... Uh, Reluctantly, he answered every question that I asked, but that was it. A conversation as such wasn't struck up. I mean, I mean, it didn't succeed in <laughs> bring him out completely of his shell. So um, he spoke to me, and, and I argued with him about Islam, about why the women were so do downgraded in Islam, and why they were treated so badly. And uh, he disagreed. And I fought with him. And he said, why don't you go and speak to the women? And I did. Um, I arrived in below the knee length skirt and determined not to give an inch to, you know, these people. Why should I cover myself to... Though nobody had told me, I, I was aware that at least there's that restriction in Islam. So I arrived with a scarf tied behind my, the back of my head, with my hair, of course, sticking out everywhere, no real covering such and uh, went to question and argue and discuss things which turned out to be a shock for me shocked by their attitude and their behavior and I expected them to be all very dark people and very you know foreign looking and extreme looking people which of course they weren't um, there were a lot of European ladies and um, there were there were Arab ladies, yes, and Malaysian ladies, and all terribly nice. And uh, I think they sensed by my my attitude that I had come in that frame of mind. And I think my reaction would have been at that stage that if somebody had come to a worshipping place of mine, I would have been extremely angry, saying like, "How dare you come here to try and cause trouble with us and our?" But they didn't. They didn't react like that at all. They were just pleasant and nice and said yes you have many questions and we have many answers and if you you know if you want to listen listen if you don't wish to listen there's nobody can force you so i said no i'm perfectly willing to listen which i did and carefully and read which i did and uh, my initial interest was not in conversion my in interest was in having a weapon to fight against it you understand you know something to 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 be able to argue about having known a little bit about it. But the more I knew about it, and the more I found out about it, through, 
you know, sheer determination to be against it, the more interested I became in it as, as, as a way of life. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل هو الله أحد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفؤا أحد صدق الله العظيم In the name of Allah most gracious most merciful say he is God the one and only God the Eternal, Absolute. He begetteth not, nor is he begotten, and there is none like unto him. Oh, Jesus fits in very, you know, peace be upon him, in, in a very big way into Islam. He is one of the most respected prophets. I mean, all prophets are respected, but he is, you know, um, one who would be the nearest to God in, in paradise. You know, he was a prophet, the son of Mary, born miraculously, and a virgin birth. It's it's all part of our belief. Where we draw the line is saying that Jesus was the Son of God. That is a blasphemy in, in my mind and in the mind of Muslims. That is a very big blasphemy. We love the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him. We we do not worship prophets. We don't pray to prophets, you know. <laughs> we pray to God only. But um as for being the Son of God no, it's it's apparent to us to think that God would actually have a son. It's, it goes against nature, it defies it. It's ridiculous to think that there could be three gods in one. Couldn't accept it. Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar. I'd gone with such determination and uh, with such anti-Islamic feelings that by the time I was leaving, I hadn't really got a leg to stand on. Not 100%, but I mean, a lot of my confidence had been dashed in, in, the, in the, um, the response I received from the, from the ladies. You know, a lot of what I'd, I thought I was going to get out was subdued because there was no place for it. I went back regularly. Uh, um, sometimes twice a week, once a week, but in between meeting ladies too, you know, being invited by ladies to meet them, 
in their homes or mm. outside for a cup of coffee or whatever, you know, things like that. And um, all in all, I can't say exactly how long it took, but I'd say it, it took quite a few months before I converted. Uh, I would have been almost 18. I still was not 100% aware of what I was doing. You know, that came much later because I was still quite young. And it came much later when I, when I got married and had children and became an adult, which is the case with everybody. Okay. It's a battle with your own conscience. You do battle with yourself. You, you, you've got to weigh up all that you're doing. You know, the, the pluses and the minuses of it. Because there's certainly, you know, when you're a non-Muslim, there are many minuses you can see if you're going to convert. You know, that frighten you. Things that would put you off and, and, and make you nervous and uh, shy in your own society because you're going to be so different in your own society, which is quite difficult to cope with initially. I think a lot of girls find it quite difficult, and men indeed, not just girls, but because there's family and there's, you know, the, the, the norm life here. It was very hard to get away from it. It's very hard to suddenly just say, like, I'm not going to walk into a pub again, ever. I'm not going to, you know, sit in the company of who drinks again, ever. You know, I'm not going to go to disco ever again. It's a difficult decision to make. And I think, you know, initially when you're, when you're going through the process of learning about Islam, you try not to think about these things. But when the time comes, you've got to make that decision in full knowledge that all of these things are going to be left behind. What happens is, you know, you go through, nobody will stop you from making a shahada, as they say, or a declaration of faith. Okay, it's better if you can do it with two witnesses. It's not terribly important who they are or where you do it. It's better, I suppose, for your own sake, so that you're aware of what you're doing totally, uh, if you do it in front of uh, the imam or sheikh, you know, of, of, mm. of the Islamic Centre, which is the religious leader or advisor of um, the Muslims in this country. And that's what I did. And he was at that stage, he was a non-English speaking sheikh who was here at that stage and he had a translator. And I didn't go alone. I had one of the ladies with me. And uh, I found it extremely nerve-wracking. It's not like that now. It's a lot different. When ladies want to make shahada now, they do it with the ladies. There's no necessity to, to, to involve the, um, the imam unnecessarily. I suppose you can, if you feel you have to. Shahada is ashahadu um, anna la ilaha illallah three times, which means I declare that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. That's as simple as that, three times. Because once you have that basic belief and you're declaring that that's what you really believe, that's Islam. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim لم يكن الذين كفروا من أهل الكتاب والمشركين منفكين حتى تأتيهم البينة رسول من الله يتل صحف مطهرة فيها كتب قيمة وما تفرق الذين أوتوا الكتاب إلا من بعد ما جاءتهم البينة 
وما أؤمن إلا ليعبدوا الله مخلصين له الدين حنفاء ويقيموا الصلاة ويؤتوا الزكاة ويقيموا الصلاة ويؤتوا الزكاة وذلك دينه قيمة صدق الله العظيم بينا or the clear evidence بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Those who reject truth among the people of the book and among the polytheists were not going to depart from their ways until there should come to them clear evidence. An apostle from God rehearsing scriptures kept pure and holy, wherein are laws or decrees right and straight. Nor did the people of the book make schisms until after there came to them clear evidence. And they have been commanded no more than this, to worship God, offering him sincere devotion, being true in faith, to establish regular prayer, and to practice regular charity, and that is the religion right and straight. Uh, we have a very formal type of prayer um, for which there is a, a formal ablution beforehand. The actual prayer itself, it, it varies in length according to each prayer time, you know. I mean, for example, the morning prayer is what we call two rakas, which means two full prostrations. Um, the afternoon prayer, you know, which is Duhur, that is four. Then we go on to the Asr prayer, which is the late afternoon prayer, which is four again. The evening prayer, the early evening prayer for Maghrib, which is what you, the prayer we eat by actually in Ramadan, uh, that is three prostrations. And then the final, the, the night prayer, is four again. Now, it, it, I mean, apart from those formal prayers which are compulsory on, on a Muslim to perform, there are also sunnah prayers, we call them sunnah prayers, that you pray for your own soul's sake, when and if you want to, you know. Each prayer is extremely personal because it's, you know, man standing in front of his maker, or woman for that matter. And, you know, you've got to show your appreciation. It's like in this society here, people get dressed up and put makeup on and get all nice, have a bath and everything, to go out and drink or to go out and dance or to go out and meet their boyfriends or their girlfriends. You know, as a Muslim, you see, what we do is we prepare ourselves to stand in front of God. You know, who, whom we really appreciate, who's who's done everything for us. Instead of preparing ourselves to go out and, and do things that will corrupt us, we actually prepare ourselves, um, we wash ourselves, we make sure we're clean, we've got nice clothes on, that there's no, uh, nothing dirty in the room or in the area where we pray. And, you know, we're preparing ourselves to face our maker very very important to us and then it's so personal because you've got to concentrate totally it's not always easy when you've got children or you know somebody knocks at a door or, but you've got to try and, and um, teach yourself that this is the way it should be done you must concentrate you mustn't uh, leave your prayer for any reason you stand and, and you, you wait till you finish your prayer totally before you, you let any interruption interfere we stand and uh, we raise our hands behind our ears and we say Allahu Akbar, which is Allah is most great. And uh, then we recite the opening chapter of the Quran and uh, another chapter of the Quran. And uh, then we again raise our hands and say Allahu Akbar and, and prostrate to our knees, not onto the floor, but we bend down holding our knees. And uh, 
we then stand up saying Allahu Akbar again, or Sami Allahu Liman Hamida, which means um, Allah hears Allah hears His servant. And uh, again, we say Allahu Akbar, and we prostrate our hands to the floor and our faces to the floor on our knees. And uh, that's basically the the, the prayer. Yeah. It's to show, you know, that Allah is most great. He's the greatest, he is the, the best in everything. And when you stand in front of him, you should shut out the outside world because it's just you and him at that time. Now, directly before prayer, uh, we have an ablution which we call wudu, whereby we, of course, wash our private parts and, and then our hands very carefully. Uh, we rinse out our mouths, our noses, uh, our face, our arms to the elbow. We run water through our hair and our ears and our feet. And that is the, the ablution for prayer, which is called wudu. What invalidates that is um, going to the toilet or breaking wind. And uh, I can't think, I think that's about it. You know, that, that invalidates it. Or if you've slept, of course, if you sleep. You know, because you're not aware of what you've done in your sleep, so... They're very strict rules. Um, you know, a full washing, which is called ghusl, is performed by any person who's had um, intercourse, you know, with their husband or wife, uh, be it male or female, same uh, thing, they must perform it. A woman who's had a child and who's finished her bleeding, she must perform prayer. A woman who's had a menses, she must also wash this full wash. It's not no big, big deal. Once you get used to it, certainly it's it's so simple. It becomes as a nature, second nature. If you were in an area where there weren't, where the water was not available, to do this, then you know the mercy of God is everywhere. You know because we're talking about this religion which came in a very hot country and desert situation, and perhaps you know in traveling there wasn't water available. And even today, it may rarely happen that you, that you'd be traveling or something that you you couldn't. Um, Get to water. Then there is a dry ablution. A dry ablution which is performed with uh, sand or stone. It's called tayyamum. And uh, it's done mainly to purify your soul. You know, to show the intention to God that if there were water available, I would do it. But because there isn't, I'm taking advantage of your mercy. And this is what I'll do. I'll use a stone or I'll use... It's more likely to be a stone in this country because there isn't pure sand I mean and the earth is, is very dirty like it's it's sticky and mucky it's not sand type um, the, the most important one of course is Shahada which is the declaration the next is the prayer the next is fasting the next is charity uh, which we call Zakat Zakat is if you have savings in the bank over a year or somewhere, you know, say it, which hasn't been touched, which hasn't been needed in that year, which wasn't, you know, it's not a life and death money type thing, then you are asked to pay 2.5% of that in charity to the needy. You can either do that directly to the needy yourself, to people you know who are in need or families, or, or you can you can give it in to the Islamic Centre, to the Imam, to be distributed as he sees fit. The fifth step or uh, pillar of Islam is the holy pilgrimage once in a lifetime to Mecca, which is called Hajj. 
Shadow I became a Muslim, I didn't become a, a devout. Uh, praying, yes, I was praying. Uh, wearing clothes, wearing clothes, the, the long clothes and that, didn't come overnight, certainly not. You know, they gradually lengthened and gathered hems, you know. It didn't happen overnight. Oh, yes, I was absolutely, I felt intimidated originally, you know. I, when I'd go out on a bus or something, I'd be wearing a scarf and I, I'd be sure that the world and his sister were looking at me. I mean, you know, which probably they were to a certain degree, but, I, I mean, you know, you get paranoid about it too. You can really get paranoid. So once I reached a certain level of maturity anyway, I think when you're young, you feel very self-conscious anyway, regardless of, of your belief. But I think as you mature, you certainly change and you begin to consider what's important for you and not what's important for the eyes of other people. I don't mind. I didn't mind covering my hair. It was the the full covering down below the chin, and the neck being covered, and that's something else. You know, to tie a scarf behind your head. I don't think many women would mind terribly, but to actually get into a full <clears throat> covering where the face alone is showing, which is the Islamic covering. Uh, yes, I found it dreadfully difficult. I used to wear it out and whip it off, you know, and stick it back on, and <laughs> initially, but. Well, as I say, when you get to a certain stage and you're asking yourself, why are you taking it off? Why? Stand back and look at yourself. Why are you taking that scarf off? Because you're embarrassed about other people. You care what other people think. When you, as I say, when you reach a certain maturity, that doesn't, doesn't take any effect anymore. You know, you grow out of that stage. I'm convinced. I know a lot of ladies have trouble when they convert with wearing scarf or even long clothes. I'd say the most difficult part of Islam for for any convert to get used to would be the the, the um, let's say the everyday difference in life. It's it's such a vast you know change in many ways. The major things were the you know going out to discos and drinking and using bad language, 
and generally restricting yourself to modesty, clothes-wise, uh, food-wise. A whole way of life, your, your life changes totally. Um, the girls I knew before I became Muslim drifted out of my life fairly early on yeah, in Islam after converting. Because, I mean, when they'd come around to see me and say, come on, are you coming to disco? I'd be saying, no, I don't go to discos anymore. And, I mean, I wasn't expecting them to sit home and hold my hand. You know, naturally, they went off and enjoyed themselves, which I refused to do because I, I wasn't into it. It wasn't for me. I was actually much more active as a Muslim than I was, you know, beforehand. I mean, I had a lot more going. Meeting people, meetings, um, reading discussion. It was, it was nice and it was intelligent and it was not like um, sitting mindlessly talking about nonsensical subjects which were of absolutely no importance to anybody. I mean there was meaning and there was depth to what we were discussing which meant a lot to me. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanur rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Wa qun lil mu'minati yaghdudna min absarihun ويحفظنا فروجهن ولا يبدين زينتهن إلا ما ظهر منها وليضربن بخمورهن على جيوبهن ولا يبدين زينتهن إلا لبعولتهن أو آبائهن أو آباء بعولتهن أو أبنائهن أو أبناء بعولتهن أو إخوانهن أو بني إخوانهن أو بني إخواتهن أو نسائهن أو ما ملكت أيمانهن أو التابعين غير غير أولي الأربة من الرجال أو الطفل الذين لم يظهروا الذين لم يظهروا على عورات النساء ولا يضربن بأرجلهن ليعلم ما يخفين من زينتهن وَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا أَيُّهَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ وَانْكِحُوا الْأَيَامَ مِنْكُمْ وَالصَّالِحِينَ مِنْ عِبَادِكُمْ وَإِمَائِكُمْ إِنْ يَكُونُوا فُقَرَاءُ يُغْنِهُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَاللَّهُ وَاسِعٌ عَلِيمٌ صَدَقَ اللَّهُ الْعَظِيمُ I seek refuge from Satan the outcast in the name of Allah most gracious most merciful say to the believing men that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty that will make for greater purity for them and God is well acquainted with all that they do and say to the believing women that they should lower their gaze and guard their modesty that they should not display their beauty and ornaments except what must ordinarily appear thereof that they should draw their veils over their bosoms and not display their beauty except to their husbands, their fathers, their husbands' fathers, their sons, their husbands' sons, their brothers or their brothers' sons, or their sisters' sons, or their women, or the slaves whom their right hands possess, or male servants free of physical needs, or small children who have no sense of the shame of sex, and that they should not strike their feet in order to draw attention to their hidden ornaments, and, O ye believers, turn ye altogether towards God, that ye may attain bliss. Sadaqallah al-Azim. There's no uh, restriction on a woman to wear a particular uniform. The thing that the onus that's put on her is to cover 
her body from head to toe except her face and her hands and her feet. I mean, how you do that then is your business. You know, you can tie a scarf behind your head and then bring it forward around your neck so that your neck is not showing. You can you can be very strict and wear a traditional Arab uh, gear. You can wear a more modern uniform, which is what I have on me, which is a long coat mm. and a scarf, you know, tied behind and then to the front, brought to the front. Um, you know, there are many, many varying ways of wearing hijab and nobody can say that one is better than the other. You know, they're, once they're loose-fitting clothes, they shouldn't be skin-tight because that would, I mean, there'd be no point in that case of covering at all. You'd be showing the entire shape of the body. Once they're loose-fitting clothes and uh, they're covering the parts that are supposed to be covered, that's hijab. If I were applying for a position, a professional position, a job, and my counterpart was applying and there were two jobs vacant. Now, my, my friend is um, a European girl with, you know, nice blonde hair and an open blouse to a certain, you know, and, and nice tight jeans. And we both get a job in the same office. I'm totally by hijab. I'm covered from head to toe. I demand my equality. I demand it. I'm not looked on as a sexual object. I am demanding it, you know, from the onset, just by looking at me. A man is not going to say, nice, you know, ooh, yeah, I must ask her out or, you know, would she be okay for it? No, they don't think of you that way. You see, that barrier is there. You've made yourself equal to them. You're not being looked on. Whereas the poor girl who's, you know, she's probably having her bottom pinched and a nuisance, you know, I mean, it must be it must be very hard on girls. I feel sorry for them, what they have to go through with men abusing them or using them. It's sad. <clears throat> so I have equality. All I need to do is don my hijab and I'm equal. That's it. That is the idea behind it. That you don't kind of make such a big impression or a lasting vision of something, you know, that's, that's um, fanciable. No, no. Um, you'll get the odd characters, the odd balls who kind of think to themselves or even say to you, you must have something very special under there that you're hiding, you know. But I mean, that's only the rare few who would even be thinking in those lines. I mean, okay, a married woman. She has a few children and she loves her husband. Why is she putting on makeup and going out and wearing tight clothes? And, you know, I mean, okay, she wants to look good, but really, is it really for that reason? And if she looks deep inside herself, she'll see that really and truly no. She's doing it for the eyes of others. You know, she likes to be admired. She likes to be a thing on display. I'm not saying all women are like that, but certainly there are, there are women who are like that. And uh, it's hypocrisy in my view. Women are taken with the utmost respect in Islam. Um, I think if you worked at it all of your life as an unbelieving person, as a Christian, or, or you know, you will never achieve the level of respect and you know admiration of of the entire Islamic community. You know, if you show respect for yourself, there's no doubt about it. You're highly held in the community, which is you know a very nice thing. It's a nice thing to feel that you know you're respected which is not an everyday occurrence here in this country. I mean, everybody in turn will say, like, I'm respected in my community. It's difficult to get that level here. You have to work very hard at it. But as a Muslim, you merely have to behave within the, you know, what's permitted to you. And you, you're there, you've achieved it. I really enjoy the, the company of, of women now much more because it's a, it's a much more natural flow. To sit down with a, with a, a group of women and, you know, 
natter on about children, about housework, about, you know, you can get all your smallest itty bitty problems out to women that you wouldn't dream of telling men about because they'd be so uninterested. And, and you always have the, the, the male company of your husband, you know, for, for, for anything like that, any need you have to express anything to a male is to your husband or to, you know, even your brother or your father. It's not as if males are totally excluded from women's lives, not at all. But, you know, if I sit down of an evening, if I go to visit somebody of an evening, I love to sit down with a few women and have a natter and, you know, tell them about how bad I'm feeling today or how great I felt yesterday or, you know, what next week is going to bring, hopefully. And that's basically it. I, don't, I wouldn't miss men's company at all because I think men are not in tune with women's needs anyway. You know, men are in tune with men's needs. Women with women's. It's, it's, it's a natural balance. Basically, I'd like to, to be better understood, really, first and foremost. I think people have a lot of prejudice against Muslim people, uh, against Islam in general. That would be my hope, generally, that to be more understood, for people to have a, a more general knowledge about Islam, so that they wouldn't be offended by certain things we do, and so that they wouldn't be, you know, they wouldn't jeer us about certain things that we do, and that... If they knew the true meaning, I'm sure all good people, you know, good-hearted people, would have very little fault with us, even Christians. We can live in harmony. You know, we can accept each other in a peaceful sort of way uh, without defiling each other's religion. It's very important. Tolerance is, is really the name of the game at the end of the road. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 